So glad that you're here today. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go ahead and preach a little bit to begin this morning. We started a series last week on uh, world-changing faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And here's the good news that we found out. God defines the person of faith by their high points, not their low points. God defines the purposes of faith by their high points, not their low points. How many of us would like our life to be defined by the worst moment in our life? Often we think that way. We think, boy, I feel so guilty about this. This has dominated my life. That decision I made 20 years ago, I just can't undo. And we as a culture, we're bad. We, we define people by their worst moments. I, I can show you some pictures this morning that will, uh, that will illustrate that. Show us the first picture up here. What do you think about when you think about Richard Nixon? Watergate. Say that with me. Watergate. Hey, here's a guy that was vice president, elected president twice, opened the door to China, did a lot of amazing things in his life, but he'll be known forever simply for the Watergate scandal. How about the, the man that was elected governor of our state more than anybody else? What was his name? George Wallace. What do we know George Wallace for? The stand in the what? Schoolhouse door. That he tried to block integration. And we, we know him because of that. Despite the fact he was elected governor four times, despite the fact even his last two times he had a, a majority of the African-American vote, he still is defined by that moment. We think of someone right now who has spent their career with great accolades and great respect. But now, look at the next picture. Bill Cosby will be defined completely different by what we know today. If you're a sports fan, the next guy I'm showing, maybe he could be argued as the greatest baseball player of all time. But now what do you know this guy for? Say it, steroids. That's what he's known for. Every time his name is mentioned, he's the steroid cheater. Now, the next picture I'm about to show you is the one person this does not apply to. He can say anything and do something, and nobody holds it against him. Show it. <laughs> It seems like it doesn't matter what he says, okay? He seems to turn out, so he, he's the exception. But here's the, here's the good news to what we're saying this morning. When God looks at you and me, and he's looking for people of faith, he doesn't define us from that low point in our life. He defines us from that high point. You say, I wonder about that, buddy. I remember hearing preachers preach sermons where, where you come to the judgment day and God shows a video of your life. And I'm thinking I'm going to be so embarrassed when it comes to this terrible part of the video. Here, my friend, is the good news. The good news is the video will be edited by the blood of Jesus. He's not going to show all the bad points because much of it has been wiped out. You say, how do you know that? I know that from Hebrews, the 11th chapter. As we get there this morning and God chose these people of faith, it's an edited version with some of them, we know very little about them except the, the one amazing high point of their life by faith. So go there with me. Let's start. We're going to look at three characters today who live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now let's think about this just for a second. We got these two brothers. Now understand this. Often I dive into this story and I forget. 
these are the boys of Adam and Eve. And, and yet they come to worship. They come, that, that's a worship word there, to offer, to sacrifice. They come to worship and one of them is acceptable to God and one of them is not. The, the word there for better literally means more. One had a more sacrifice, a more offering. I don't think he's talking about so much in quantity as much as he's talking about in quality. Now, if you have your Bible, look back in Genesis chapter 4 with me, and let's get a little more insight why Abel's offering was accepted and commended, and Cain's wasn't. Middle of verse 2. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, what's the difference? Now, a lot of people argue a lot of different things here. Some will argue that Abel's was better because it was a blood sacrifice and that Cain's was a a, a simply a, a um, excuse me, a, an offering of the soil, an offering of grain. But we know that the Levitical law has not been written yet. That idea is not there. And even under the Levitical law, there were grain offerings. I don't think that's it. What is the difference? I think the difference is when we find out that Abel brought the firstborn. He brought the first of his offering. You know, when you think about what you're going to do first, it has a significance. Now, it's like this right now. Everybody's going crazy right now about the amazing amount of money on the lotto, all right? And I know none of you godly people have gone across the line and got your lotto ticket. So let's just assume that, besides my wife. Okay, I know none of you, (laughs) none of you have done that, all right? But, But here's the question is, if you won that lotto, $900 million, what's the first thing you do with it? That would say something significant about you. What's the first thing you do? And for God, the first thing you do is a big time deal. And what makes Abel's sacrifice and offering acceptable to God is it comes from, here's the next word we're going to use here. It's not just better. It's not just more. It's the first. He brought his best. Now, what made his better? What's the why behind it? Look at here. What he believed, all right? What he believed. Yeah, keep on. You're going to click through that for a little bit with me, all right? Better, more, and then first, okay? And what made the difference? It was what he believed. Let's, let's do what the message says there out of Hebrews chapter 11. It was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference. Okay, buddy, put, put this all together with me. He brings the first, he brings the best, It's what he believed. See, see, here's the deal. He made his worship offering by faith, by his trust in God. He believed that God existed. He believed that God always should come first. And so for Abel, he came with his very best He wasn't just trying to go through the motions of worship. He wasn't just trying to offer anything. He knew of a God that was worthy of his very, very best. 
Now think about that. That's a, it's against human nature to bring your first. And that's why God has to instruct us to do this. Look, look over in Proverbs chapter 3 with me just for a moment. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Let's see what he says there about what we are to bring God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. God has to tell us, bring me the first fruits, bring me the best. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. You see, when you worship God by faith, you bring him your first, you bring him your best. Now, we can read this story of Cain and Abel. Just because you do the right thing doesn't always mean that you will be immediately blessed. Because in this story, we understand that in the long run, Cain is so angry and jealous that he murders Abel. So so don't buy into the people that say, if you always do the right thing, you're always going to be blessed with wealth and prosperity and all these things. That, That sometimes happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. It didn't happen here. But he had something much better than wealth and prosperity. He was commended by God. So here's our challenge as we begin our service today. Because the Bible says the life of Abel still speaks. And today I wanted to speak specifically to you and I about our worship, about our offering. Let's talk about some aspects of worship. In just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to be giving to God. Can I ask you? Is you make, and I love the word offering better than gifting. That's what, it's a worship word. Because our our collection time is as much worship as this message or the singing. When when you give at that point, can I ask you, is it going to be of your first fruits? Does it come off the top? Love the young married couple I was talking to recently. They get paid on Friday. They say, now with text giving, the moment that their check goes into the bank, they go ahead and text give off the top. So they're not tempted to give God their leftovers. Many of us, you know, it, it's okay, Sunday comes around. What do we have left in the checking account? What, what little bit, and, and so let's come up with that. God says, no. If you really believe that I'm God, if you really believe that I should come first in every area of your life, one very specific area that's gonna come is in your offering. Don't bring God your leftovers. Whatever you're about to put in the plate in a few moments, can I ask you, have you prepared for it? Could you really say that this is an act of worship? And then as we sing in just a moment, are we ready? Guys, guys, listen to me. Cain showed up and did something. And it wasn't acceptable to God. Simply your physical presence in this building is not an indication that you're truly gonna worship God. It's a good thing that you're here. But many of us, let's just be really honest here, we bring our leftovers. We don't get much sleep on Saturday night. We're not very prepared about what's gonna happen the next day. And so a lot of our mornings or our, our Sunday mornings are very tense and very hurried. Listen, we show up late. You know, again, guys, if, if we believe that there's something special about this assembly, that when we come here, we are meeting with God in a very special way where two or three are gathered, I, I'm telling you guys, it deserves our first. It deserves our best. 
It deserves me not just walking in here with everything going on in my brain and in a hurry and slipping in, you know. It deserves me going, you know what? We're going to worship God. He's God. I mean, he's the creator of the world. He's the one who created all this, we found out last week, with a word. He spoke the worlds into existence. My goodness, when I come into his presence, I'm going to bring him my very best. I want to challenge you about that. I want to challenge me about this. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Can I ask you, is your heart ready? Or are you just going to be physically present? Or are you going to give God your very best? Or are you going to be so distracted that God's going to get just a little bit of the leftovers? And guys, your life of worship is not just your financial giving. That's not all what God wants. It's not just what you do here. It's what you do when you walk out of this, these doors. It's my life can be a fragrant offering to God. So I ask you, are you prepared? Here's the key. Here's the key to the whole chapter. Are you going to spend the next few minutes worshiping by faith? Not worshiping by rote, not worshiping just because we always do this by routine, but you're about to worship God by faith. You believe he exists. You believe he blesses us. You believe that he created this world with the whisper of his voice. You believe that he gave his son Jesus for you. You believe that we have victory in him. Now, that's going to change our worship, guys, if we believe that. That's the bottom line is what you believe. That's what this whole chapter says. You don't worship God, you worship by faith. Let's stand together and pray, and then we're going to worship. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here together today. But God, we recognize that it's not enough for us just to be physically present, Lord. God, that, that what you want is you want our heart, you want our first. God, we, we confess to you so often we come to this with less preparation than almost anything else we do in the week. And you get our leftovers. We're tired. We're, we're, we're tense. We're not focused. And Lord, I, I just want to ask your forgiveness right now, Lord, for those Sundays, even if it's today, that we come this way. Lord, g- give us the courage as we read about this story, God, to, 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 to see it and to repent of anything we're doing that's not bringing you our best. Cain showed up, but you didn't commend him. Abel brought his first. He brought his best. So, Lord, as as we worship you in song, God, help it to be our best. Not in what it sounds like, but where our faith is, where our heart is. God, as we worship you in our giving, God, help us to give by faith, not by sight. As we worship you around the table, may we see beyond a cracker and some grape juice, and may we see you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Let's look at our next character in this hall of faith. Look with me in verse um, 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, this character Enoch, we don't know much about. We find out a little bit more in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 5, just a moment. 
get a little more detail about his life. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, after that, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. That's a long life, isn't it? Enoch walked faithfully with God and he was no more because God took him away. There's, there's a one sentence summation of Enoch's life. He walked faithfully with God and was no more. Uh, Enoch's one of the two people in the Bible, Enoch and Elijah, who don't suffer death, who just go to be with the Lord. But the, the hallmark of Enoch's life is that he walked with God. We, we see that Abel, we see faith worshiping God. With Enoch, we see faith walking with God. That's a great term. Often we even use that term in our day. We might say to someone spiritually, how is your walk with the Lord? Now that sounds very spiritual, very churchy, almost very trite. How's your walk with the Lord? But it actually is... A beautiful description. Would you not like your life, would I not like my life, to be summed up with one sentence? He walked with the Lord. And it seemed like Enoch, when his son Methuselah was born, there was a turning point in his life. I would gather before this, he was selfish and self-centered and lived life the way he wanted to. But when Methuselah's born, like so many of us, when our, our children come into the world... Something happens. We know there's a a point I've got to get serious about my faith. And Enoch did that. And he ended up with this walk with God. And that's the challenge for us, to walk with him. Now, understand that term. It's a great term. Spiritual life is not a sprint. See, some of us, I think, we we started in an incredible sprint and we we burn out. It's a a walk. It's a daily, consistent time with the Lord. And so I love the challenge we get from Enoch's life is to walk with God. Now, to walk together, there's some things that have to happen. You've got to agree on some things to walk together. Think about this. If you're going to walk with someone, and again, that's a really beautiful picture. Uh, We think about walking with people that we love. We think about being with our spouse and walking down the beach together. Because there's something even romantic and loving about walking with somebody God invites us every day to walk with him. But to walk with somebody, you have to agree on some things. You have to agree on the place that you're going, right? I mean, you ever been to the mall with your spouse, you know, and you thought it was going to be an evening together, but you got out to the mall, you know, and, and, and you wanted to go to the bookstore and she wanted to go to the jewelry store? Or you walked a little bit longer and and you were going to the sporting goods store and she was going, you know, to the clothing store and and you ended up going and not really spending time together because you were there, but you weren't going to the same place. And and then not only must you go to the same place, but you've got to go the same path. To walk with someone, you got to go, okay, we're, we're headed here and there's a couple different directions we could go. Let's go down this path together. And then maybe just as important as either of those is to walk with somebody, you've got to go at the same pace. You ever made up your mind maybe at the beginning of the year that you were going to start running or start walking and you had another friend, you know, who said, man, I want to do the same thing. I've got to get in shape. That's one of my resolutions. And, and you started walking together every morning and it didn't work because real quickly you figured out you had two different paces. 
And one of you was much faster and one was slower. And the faster person was frustrated with the slower person. The slower person was frustrated with the faster person because you weren't at the same pace. And so this beautiful picture of walking with God, it involves us agreeing with God about where we're trying to go. And I hope you've been reading Hebrews chapter 11. The whole emphasis of the chapter is walking by faith to heaven. It's people that are willing to endure like Abel, death on the spot, or persecution because they know where they're going. They've agreed they're going to heaven. And so you walk together with God. But you also pick the same path. What's the path to heaven? My friends, it's the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, We are to follow in his footsteps. 1 John actually literally says, we are to walk as he walked. So if we're going to walk with God together, we've got to agree that it's more important than any temporal blessing on this earth that, that I make it to heaven. And that the way there is the path of Jesus. That's a path of discipline and discipleship. It's a path of imitating him. And then you got to go at the same pace. And I love that. It's, it's not a sprint. It's not a lurch. I mean, the Bible says, Galatians 5, that we are to walk in step with the Spirit. Here's the deal, guys. As we walk with God, He's going to set the right individual pace for you and for me. And so what a beautiful picture Enoch gives us here that not only do we just meet here today like able to offer and to worship God, but when you walk out these doors today, you go to walk with God. What an intimate picture that gives us of life with God is to walk with him. I ask you, and I'm not asking it in a churchy way at all today, not asking you tritely, but can you describe your life as a walk with God? Not, not just a, a Sunday deal, not just a religious deal, but a, a daily walk with God. Can, can you get over the fact that God literally wants to invite you on a walk through life with him? That he wants to be your partner side by side? I love that. And then we look at our third character uh, this morning, and that's, that's found in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that's in keeping with faith. Abel worshiped, Enoch walked, Noah worked for God. I mean, can you imagine this whole story with Noah? I mean, he's going to build this ark for 120 years. He lives 100 miles from the closest ocean. It's not rained yet on the earth. Can you just even imagine, just for a moment with me, the conversation he had with his family? You know, he comes home one night for supper, and, and uh, he says, you guys won't believe who I've talked to today. And Mrs. Noah said, well, who did you talk to? And he said, I talked with God. He met me, and he began to speak to me. Well, what did he say? Well, there was some pretty bad news. Bad news is he's about to destroy the world. He's so frustrated by the evil sinfulness of men that he's going to destroy the whole globe. Well, what's the good news? The good news is he's going to save us. Well, what what are you going to do, Noah? Well, I've got to build this boat. What's a boat? Well, something that would carry you on the water. Well, how how big is the boat going to be? 
475 feet. Japheth, you know what that is? You know how big that is? You watch the movie Titanic? It's about half the size of the Titanic. I mean, he's trying to explain to his, his family this crazy deal that they're going to be in the middle of this wilderness building this boat for rain they've never seen a hundred miles away from anything like water like this. And so, Noah, you're talking about walking by faith and not by sight? And him and his boys spending those next years working on this boat? Now, why did he do this? The scripture says it really plainly. In holy fear, he built. Holy fear, he built. He believed in God. I mean, let's add this to our description of faith just for a moment here, if you don't mind. But faith does involve an element of fear. Now, I know every time we see the word fear in the Bible, we sort of explain it away. We say, well, that means reverence, and it does. It means respect, and it does. But it still means fear. It still's got an element that, that Noah believed that God was God. Noah believed that God was a God who meant what he said. Noah believed that God was prepared to destroy the ungodliness of the world, that he was going to judge the world. Noah believed those things. And it was that holy, faithful fear that motivated him to obey God when he looked crazy. And I wonder with us today, my friend, if we're going to really work for God and be obedient to God, when God asks you and I to do things that look crazy, that other people don't agree with, have we lost all sense of fear of God? I mean, here, here's something bothers me. Is, is, is none of us seem to have any holy fear of God like Noah. We, we, we don't live in light often of the judgment. I mean, does anybody in here think you'd go to hell? Do we think anybody would go to hell? My goodness, in the culture we live in today, we've almost written that off as just old-fashioned things, my friends. If we had time, we'd look in the book of Matthew. Jesus compares the flood to his coming judgment. Jesus said, just like the flood came unawares to the world, they weren't inspecting it. They were sitting, they were just sitting around making fun of Noah. They thought he was a fool to be building this boat. And then the flood came and the doors were shut and they're destroyed and Noah and his family is saved through the water. And, and, and Jesus says, that's the same way the judgment's going to come. Are you living in respect and fear of the judgment? Because I'm scared some of us have gotten to a point that we think we can be as disobedient to God as we want to, as unfaithful, as lukewarm, as involved in sin as we are, and there's absolutely no fear that there's some repercussions there. There's no idea there's a judgment day coming. I mean, look in Noah's day. I mean, it was an evil day. You've got eight people that are saved over the whole world. And we live in a sinful, corrupt world today. Or we can be the people who the Bible says finds ourselves in the safety of the ark. If we're going to do it, my friends, we must restore some form. I'm not talking about walking around scared to death all the time. But a, a fear of God that says, God means what he says. And God tells me to obey it. Here, here's what we do, guys. Here's exactly what we do. We obey God when we feel like it. 
Oh, I know God said that about church. I know God said this about giving. I know God said this about forgiveness. I know God said this about how I should, what my morals should be like. But I don't feel like that. That doesn't seem right to me. I'm in charge of my life. And so I'm going to do what I want to do, disregarding what God has said. And that's why Noah's an example to us. He worked because he actually believed God and what he said. Now, let's, let's write down a few things quickly about what a life of faith looks like. First of all, real faith will make you look crazy. I know it's ridiculed. Oh, second, real faith will isolate you from culture. Because if you and I are trying to fit into this culture, and everybody around us think we're normal, nice people, we will fail. To live by faith will be to look different. But here's the cool thing. Real faith will draw you close to God. Can you imagine what happened with Noah as he worked on this big boat with God? He's not just working for God, he's working with God and how close they became. Now let's back up now just for a second and let's let's conclude by thinking about the progression that we have seen. You see see this graph here on the screen. I, I think this is the way it happens It starts with me worshiping God, then walking with God, and then working for God. I believe in this passage there is a divine progression. First of all, guys, if you're going to live a life of faith, you're going to, first of all, be in such awe of God that you worship Him, that you recognize who He is. Worship is simply a word that literally means worth-ship. What it means is, I put worth in God. So it starts there. And then the coolest thing happens. You're invited to walk with God. And then something even cooler happens. God says, I want you to work with me. I've got work to do on this earth. I've appointed you as my ambassador. Let's go out and let's do it together. It's a beautiful thing. And that's the progression. We, we worship. I hope you've done that this morning. You walk out of here, you're walking with God daily, and you become a part of the work of God. Now listen to me. If you change the order, it won't work. If you start off by saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work really hard for God, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to burn yourself out. You're not going to make it. It must start with a sense of worship, a sense of wonder in the walk, and then you begin to work. And every time you start getting burnt out on the work, then you need to be drawn back to worship because it's worship where you step back enough. That's why it's so important that we prepare ourselves for these moments, guys, because this is the point in the week where we step back and say, oh, I know what's going on in this crazy world out here, but there's a bigger reality than the world. It's God. He really exists and he loves me and I worship him and I'm invited to walk with him and this motivates me to work for him. It's a beautiful thing. We started off with good news. The good news from this chapter is a life of faith is defined by the high points of your life, not the low points. Thank God for that. The worst thing in your life is not on the video because that's not how God looks at you. The last bit of faith in, in And good news I want to give you here this morning is this. You can change. That's what these stories say to us. Enoch, the birth of Methuselah, he changes himself. 
He's able to change by the power of God. And maybe you've had a legacy of just living for yourself, but now you've come to a point where something needs to change. Here's the good news. Our culture tells you you can't change. You are who you are. The Bible says you can change just like Enoch. You say, well, buddy, I I come from a, a really poor family background. Yours any worse than Abel's? Any worse than the the folks who messed this whole place up for good, Adam and Eve? Abel changes his family legacy. And Noah is able to change the world. And so today, is it time to change? The good news is you could. You could change your life. You could change your family legacy. I know many of you in here are trying. You come from a background that's difficult and challenging, and you are working hard right now of changing that legacy. You don't want to follow the footsteps of your parents and your grandparents. You want to change it, and by faith you can, and by faith we can be a part of the work of God that changes the world. So this morning, if you want to commit yourself to that, or if you need the prayers of this church today to walk by faith, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?